is Clayton Howe's Entertainment X. For this episode, I chat with Dan Looney, and we cover a little bit of everything from early on Entertainment Dreams to the D-Lap group and how he keeps himself moving forward. So I hope you enjoy this part one with Dan Looney. We're back. I'm Clayton Howe, and today with me on Zoom is Dan Looney. Dan, thank you for joining me today. No, thank you for having me. I'm I'm really excited to uh, speak with you on a lot. Um, we met a couple weeks ago when you were doing a pretty large tour of the the U.S. Uh, we're going to talk about the DLAP group uh, projects that are upcoming and so much more. But before we get to that, I want to take it back to the beginning of time for Dan. What were your entertainment dreams growing up? It's interesting when this is asked for me because um, you know I was more obsessed with sports. Okay. When I was when I was young, I kind of then got into singing. Um, I enjoyed theatre, but I didn't really start any theatrical. Uh, I didn't pursue any any theatrical endeavours until I was probably about sixteen. So I had this big thing where I just I loved sports, but I was never good enough to actually go on and make that as any part of a career. But at the same time, I you know I played instruments. Um, I was a songwriter. I was a singer. Um, you know, I was I was signed to a record label when I was 17. So everything that I wanted to do was be a singer songwriter in, in the music world. Um, you know, I liked musicals, but they weren't they weren't on my horizon for a while. You know, I did the drama things and I did those sort of things, but I didn't know that's what I wanted to do until I was about 16. So for me, the dream was always to be a singer songwriter and to perform in front of people in in arenas and um, you know, large spaces. That was it. I mean, you know, I wanted I wanted to have the biggest ego and be <laughs> be the biggest songwriter. And that's what I wanted to be. Theatre wasn't even a thing. Um, and then when it kind of became apparent that 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 wasn't going to be where my life was, then theatre became that kind of new thing. Um, and and as, you, as you'll probably learn through this interview, I'm kind of a bit crazy with the fact that I have too many dreams. I'm, and I'm never satisfied with what I have. So it's 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 all over the place all the time. I, I could be here forever telling you about everything that I wanted to do, whether it's happened or not. That's yeah. But that creates for a very interesting life, I think. I, I've, I've, an interesting life, but also a, a completely neurotic life. <laughs> I can relate on that one. Uh, before we get to uh, neur neuroticism, um, the, what was the what was this creation of the um of this record this signing with a record label how did that happen um it was i i i was singing somewhere and somebody from a record label was like okay. let's let's do it we started writing stuff and just never it just never went forward i mean i've continued to write songs um for various artists and labels for years but um yeah it, i was just singing in a bar somewhere and they they just happened to be there right place right time but i don't know it was one of those things that um again at the same time because i was kind of had i'd entered into the theatrical world as well i kind of made this this terrible decision really to try and pursue both things at the same time rather than at the time putting all of my eggs in one basket which in hindsight i should have done at that point um so i never really had a full focus on what that career could have been um because i suddenly was opened up to this new theatrical world as well um, so there was always this kind of pulling from both sides and I didn't really know which way to go. Um, and one side just won in the end. What, have, what did your parents teach you about kindness? Um, 
what did my parents teach me about kindness? That is, that is, that, you know, that's a very American question. That's not a question that goes to British people much. So how do you, um, uh, how do we make it a, a British question? I have no idea. <laughs> my dad will be laughing at this. We just move um, on. <laughs> we could just they, move on. <laughs> they, they would, they would, you know, my, my parents were, you know, um, my parents were, were heroes to me when I grew up. Not that I ever tell them that because, you know, it's just uncool to tell them that. Right. Um, but it was, you know, they 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 both came from nothing. They built a career together through, mm. you know, I, by the way, nobody in my family has any musical or theatrical roots. Really? <laughs> they, you okay. know, they created the carpentry company, which, you know, went on to, um, you know, I, I, I was brought up in a very, very good life. The one thing they did, though, was even when they even at the times where they had money and they were doing very well, me and my siblings were never spoiled. Mm. You know, we were spoiled more than most people. Don't get me wrong. We, we had a very good upbringing, but we were taught the value of money. We were taught the value of working hard, um, earning trust and respect from people. And I think all of that kind of falls into being kind, you know, making sure that, that what you do in business is that you work with good people, mm. you surround yourselves with good people. And most of all, you just try to be kind and good to people. Um, and sometimes we forget that. And sometimes, certainly in the business, as you know, that we have people people push your buttons so much that it sometimes you feel like you want to say oh you want me to be the bad guy fine i'll be the bad guy but they you know they i think i always know that if i if i go down that route they'll be disappointed in me yeah. because they'd rather me be kind rather me be nice and frankly my dad would also say kill with kindness yeah. you know smile don't let people know that you're getting to them mm -hmm. so i think there was always to go back to your original question they taught me kindness in one is just a good way to live your life, but two, how to use it to better your life and to not let people get on top of you. Yeah, you're bringing it. You're making my job really easy because you brought up working hard and you do, you do work hard. There's a lot going on day to day in your life, um, and, which leads to my next question. What did your parents teach you about work ethic? Oh, well, first, again, firstly, they you know, we never got handouts. Me and my siblings never got handouts. Anything that we mm. wanted to do, we had to earn. I started, I started DJing when I was 12, you know, and, you know, my parents would have to, you know, every birthday present, every Christmas present, every bit of money I earned went on paying for DJ equipment. And, you know, at the time you didn't have iTunes at 79p per song or 99 cents or whatever it is. You had to go to a shop and buy a CD, mm -hmm. you know, it was. So I spent all of my money on that, but to be able to continue doing that as a job and not then have to go work in a bar or a pub or be a waiter and do something that I actually enjoyed to make money, yeah. I had to continue working hard all the time. The minute I could get my driving license, they were like, we're not driving you to these gigs anymore. You have to work hard, go get your driving license, go buy a car, do all of these things. They never, they never lectured on it. They always let actions um, be the way forward. They always said you have to go do these things in order to 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 prove that you can make that money and make something of yourself. They never just lectured about it. They were like, get on with it. Don't mm. talk about it. Do it. Mm. And that's hilarious because I like to talk a lot, as you'll find out today. So <laughs> uh, if you're willing to kind of piece this together for me, what was the defining moment for you when you decided, oh, yeah, I'm going to I'm going to perform, you know, in theater. I'm going to. Um. If, if I'm perfectly honest, it probably comes down to ego. If I'm honest, I like, you know, we can, artists can talk about the art all they want. And <laughs> there are, and there are a handful of artists out there that are all about the art. And I will be fine with that. A very but small the majority handful. Of don't, the majority of actors that tell me they don't get a thrill 
from a thousand people applauding them for doing a three hour job at the end of the night. It, they're, they're talking rubbish. They're talking <laughs> rubbish. And I, I, I loved that. You know, I loved, I loved make, you know, I was never, I was never like, I was never funny. I didn't have a funny bone in my body. And then around 18, 19, I learned how to make people laugh. Hmm. And that was intoxicating. And when I took that into, you know, British pantomime and hmm. I was always playing the Joker character, you know, I loved that audience um, relationship and any show that I did, it was always about how can we make this um, the best night or the best afternoon or the best experience for anybody who's come to see the show, regardless of where they're sitting in the theater hmm. or what ticket price they had. And I found that intoxicating. Yes. Playing a character and, and being somebody else is a wonderful experience. But for me, it was about the relationship with the audience. And it's something that now that I do not perform much anymore, I absolutely miss because I think that relationship is so rewarding and wonderful. And frankly, it's also a, a form of therapy. Mm. You know, any time that I was having a bad day, I would go perform. I would come out and I would feel so much better because, mm. because the audience there is so happy to be there. And mm -hmm. you, can, you can only just get sucked in by mm -hmm. that unless you're doing a terrible show. And then, of course, you kind of see them going, what are we watching? Luckily, I didn't do many of those. But um, yeah, I think that for me was what was what really made me fall in love with with live entertainment, not just theater, but live entertainment, which yeah. is why I never so always got on with film and TV as much because there was never as much of an audience there. And I loved that live feel. Yeah. Well, will you perform again? I very much hope so. Um, I got on stage again, actually, almost a year ago to the day. Um, for the first time in four years, my my good friend Sarah O'Connor, who's now in Frozen in the West End, um, I was actually producing her her solo concert at mm. the Hippodrome, and she asked me to be her special guest, um, which no one's done um, since I became a producer. And um, I was absolutely fine until about ten minutes before I went on stage, and then my legs started shaking uncontrollably, and I just lost all um, bodily functions. <laughs> I just could not. I was like. I was hyperventilating. I couldn't, but I was like, I never got, I never used to really get nervous before going on stage. I'd have little nerves, but never, this was crazy. This was like, this was manic. So yeah, but I definitely will because um, it's, it's a big part of me and a part of my life. Um, but it has to be right place, right time now. Um, there's other responsibilities and other focuses <laughs> yeah. in my life that right now need to um, need to have my focus and attention. What was this decision to go into producing? There wasn't one. It was purely by accident, really. So during the time that I was at stage school or even before then, actually, mm. um, I was always producing like amateur work, community work. Mm. And um, there was a time where I went to 19 finals in a row um, and didn't get the job. My agent mm. called me the unluckiest actor in the West End. Oh, I got God. one job. I got one job and then, uh, which was a touring production of a musical which i will keep nameless for now sure and uh, i was cast in that and then replaced by a celebrity before rehearsals mm. so i had all of this rubbish go on so i just thought i'm gonna go back to the roots i'm gonna all of my friends that are unemployed that don't have jobs that need to have a just a, a way to express themselves so we went and produced the wedding singer um as an amateur production in my hometown um and I was like, well, you know, I've got enough people around me. I know we could take this on a small tour, maybe like five or six venues. So I signed the rights to that in the morning just to put that to a few venues and got off a Book of Mormon in the afternoon. And mm. 
what happened was because I was then concentrating on Book of Mormon, which was, you know, big West End show. Mm. Um, I was then co-producing the tour with somebody else before my business partner, Adam came onto it. Mm. And the tour just got bigger and bigger and bigger. And by the time that I left Book of Mormon, the wedding singer had turned into a, um, a, a 34 week number one national UK tour, which was gonna, which needed to raise a huge amount of money that I'd <laughs> never done before and was gonna cost across the entire tour about 5 million pounds. And I was just like, how did I let it get this far? I just, I just lost, fo- I was just, I got caught up in how cool it was that venues wanted it and directors wanted to be part of it and cast members wanted in and we had the best team around me and suddenly I was like, oh, okay. So at that point I had to go, I had to calm down a bit and go, right, well, I need to concentrate on getting that up. And at the same time, mm-hmm. I flew out to LA and signed the rights to burlesque. So I was like, okay, well, that's another one, but that's fine. I'll still perform then rock of ages became available and i signed the rights to rock. and suddenly i had three shows and at that point you go well now i have a responsibility to all the people that work on these shows to the people that i need to employ within my own staff in mm. order to help me produce these shows it's irresponsible for me to be performing every day when i might need to go and you know deal with the job that i've now created for myself so it happened really by accident there was no decision to become a producer I had no background. I had never been an assistant for anyone. I'd never been an associate for anyone. I had no idea what I was doing. Mm. Um, I had to learn everything from scratch, including how to general manage shows because I general managed the wedding singer, um, you know, how to account shows, all of these things that I had no idea on. Um, and all of that was just hard work, reading every book I could, speaking to every producer that I could. And there are, you know, people like Jamie Wilson and Tristan Baker who were just wonderful with helping me through those periods. And then of course, Adam Paulden, who's now my business Mm. partner, who came on as co-producer of the show, um, taught me everything that I know. Um, And now I like to joke that I teach him everything he knows. So, um, you know, we like, we like to think there's a swap around now. Yeah. Were you in Book of Mormon the whole time? These, through these three shows coming on board? Or you had left no. after? No, I, I left Book of Mormon and The Wedding Singer opened shortly afterwards. Got it. Okay. The Wedding Singer, just because it's, you know, you're like, oh, I just produced a show. What the um, what was the original setup there? Was this like a, a just a, the regional theater in your town? Or was this, you know, was there a, a, a series of sponsors at that theater? Or you fund, did the fundraising all yourself and just had a space like totally? The, init- the initial production that we that I spoke about earlier with, with my kind of friends that were not in jobs at the time. Yeah. You know, I produced it, directed it, starred in it, you know, thing. it was, it was just us having a good time when it came to the actual tour. Once we realized how big it got, it needed it, you know, it needed to be a traditional theatrical raise. I mean, we had a lot of money to go raise and we had to go find co-producers and mm. investors and all sorts. There was never a, there was never a check that was written to us as a sponsor. It was always investment deals. Mm. Um, we lost everybody their money mm. because it, it it didn't really go the way that we wanted it to go. Um, we learned more from that than we would have learned from anything. But it was a it was a traditional UK tour. It was the it mm. was as big as any UK tour here of that of that mid sized scale. Um, and we had to do it. We had to raise it the way that experienced producers do but i wasn't that mm. so it was a bit again that was a huge learning curve and again if it wasn't for adam paulton coming on board mm. the show would never have made it to opening night what was the relationship with burlesque how did that how did that come together you know acquiring the well rights? well i have to credit my sister who told me for years 
Burlesque needs to be a musical. I'd never watched it. I didn't have any interest in watching it. And then she made me watch it. And I was like, ah, oh, damn it. She was right that this, this would make a great musical. Hmm. So I, I just searched online. I just, well, who wrote and directed it? Oh, Stephen Antin. I found his email address, emailed him at 2 a.m. in the morning, UK time. Um, I told him that it was an average movie that could be a great musical. Um, uh, not in those words. I said it in a nicer way. He'll, you know, I'm sure he's got the email somewhere, you know, but I was like, you know, this, this could be incredible. And he wrote back within 10 minutes, which I couldn't believe. Um, and two months later, me and Adam were jetting off to LA to go meet him and the head of um, the studio to talk about um, signing it mm. and, and for us to be the guys. And, you know, they've been looking for a long time for the right people to do it. And the, the, the thing that I always credit with Stephen is that he had a lot of very experienced award-winning producers that came to him, but they mm. all wanted just to put the film on stage. And again, I go back to the fact that the film was fine. And the reason Stephen replied back in 10 minutes is that the movie was never what he wanted it to be. He felt like he had unfinished business with the movie. Did you know and there's that? many Did you know that? When no, you know I didn't. Okay. It was a it was a complete risk, but I thought somebody would, you know, my my feeling was it'd been 7 years I think since the movie had come out, or 6 years, and it hadn't been on stage, there was no talk about it. I thought everybody's probably tried to you know um they've tried to blow smoke that's what they've tried to do and i thought let's not do that let's just be honest um and it just turns out that he felt the same and obviously i won't speak for him on what he was unhappy with but um it, the passion and the vision that adam and i had for the piece mm. matched in most part with what stephen wanted which was here are the issues from the movie Let's change them. Let's move them. Let's 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 update this to 2021. Let's let's make this a show that isn't just the movie on stage. Hmm. Let's make this that it has its own identity, but still has all the amazing things that people love because it's become such a cult movie. It's become so successful um, in the home entertainment market. And there are so many people, mainly young women, who just adore this movie. And we have to make sure that they are looked after. And at the same time, we also have to make sure that the Broadway community feel like this isn't just another remaking of another movie. Mm. Um, it has to have its own identity. And we're very, very excited with where that's gone over the last you know, three to four years of development. But that's where we started with him. Mm. What have you what have you discovered now at the with the DLAP group in um, the pipeline <laughs> of a show from inception to a West End stage, Broadway stage or whatever venue it's going to? Are there discoveries you've made or things you've changed or looking to change or? Oh, we're on? constantly evolving, constantly evolving. And, and I think as well, the, the, the teams that we have around us um particularly creative teams. We like to have people who can evolve as well. I mean, yeah. if I take the wedding scene again, we produced it in London just before the pandemic. Um, you know, so it'd been a couple of years from the UK tour to the London production, but it was the same production. And I sat with the director, Nick Winston, and we both felt that what we had done could be so much better. Mm. And it was a great evolution for us to be able to say, we've learned so much just ourselves in the relationship that we have. And, you know, him as a director, choreographer, me as a producer, we had realized we we had done a great job on the show, but my God, it could be so much better. Here are the things we'd do if we changed it again. I think for us as well, it's, you know, every single production has a different timeline. 
Mm. Um, and within those timelines, you can be writing something and the world can change so much in the five years that you're writing it. Right. You know, we talk about, um, if we just talk about the progression in the conversation in, in, in trans rights at the moment, you know, what we were talking about two years ago is nothing compared to what we're talking about now. So if you're yeah. writing a piece or if you have a team of people writing a piece that has any of those issues in, you know, you've got to adapt that piece to make sure it's of the time. But at the same time, you're thinking, but if we don't get this on Broadway for another three years or the West End or tour or wherever it might be, um, mm. where is the conversation going to be then? So for us, it, you know, the biggest thing for us is trying to keep ahead of all the, the trends. Mm -hmm. um, I think that's the biggest thing that we're learning is, is trying to keep ahead of that as best as possible, making sure that, you know, every uh, underrepresented voice gets heard in the right way. Um, and again, the thinking on how that voice should be heard is constantly changing and evolving and we're constantly learning. And I think that for me is the biggest thing. I don't think the producing side has changed. Like I could, you know, I could talk a lot about how the UK touring market has changed mm. massively. So that has changed a huge thing. Um, but, you know, I think for me, from a creative point of view, it's, um, yeah, it, it's about what stories we're telling. Um, and making sure we're telling them at the right time. Everything that we create, there has to be a reason as to why we're doing it. And yeah, sometimes it can just be, um, you know, yeah, you could be writing a show because you want it to be a commercial hit. You want it to make money, right? Sure. There still has to be a reason. There still has to be a message. You know, Mamma Mia <laughs> is one of the greatest commercial hits of all time, but it's an incredibly empowering piece for, you know, middle-aged women mm -hmm. um, because it tells them that what, what you know, what she was doing with, with three guys in one summer is fine. It's fine. You, mm -hmm. You're fine to do no one's demonizing her for it. Right. And that, that was so ahead of its time, really, when you think about that conversation. So everything's got to have a, 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 a moment as to why we're doing it and a message as to why we're doing it, even if it's just there to make money and to make people laugh and have fun. Um, and we've got to keep on top of that all the time. I don't even know if that answered your question. I think I went off on a tandem. No, it did. It did. It was like, yes, and, which I really liked. Uh <laughs> You've been listening to Entertainment X, the podcast. You can follow Entertainment X on Instagram at underscore Entertainment X underscore. If you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Join Clay next week for another curiosity conversation on Entertainment X. Thank you for listening.